Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. Again, a special welcome to those who are perhaps listening online. Uh, my name is Jason, and uh, it's just lovely to be able to take us into what is essentially today the last part in a little mini-series that we have been doing on the life of Abraham, which has formed part of a bigger series that we have been doing uh, through the book of Genesis, as we look at the Old Testament through the window of Hebrews chapter 11 which has been our guide for being able to engage with the Old Testament. And I realize that as we've done the, the life of Abraham in, in three weeks, there is so much that we've had to leave out. Uh, and if you'd like to do something, perhaps as we are doing this series, a, a nice thing to do is to be uh, reading in concert with us. I know sometimes you think, well, where do I? I haven't been reading the Bible for a while. Where do I pick up? Where can I read? Where do I start? Uh, and so that might be a nice thing to do, to read along in Genesis as we teach through it uh, in, our, in our morning services. Um, but this leads us, as we allow Hebrews chapter 11 to guide us into the, the highlight moments, the core significant moments, if you like, for us um, throughout the Old Testament, it brings us today to one of the most challenging Old Testament stories. And, and as we looked at it, we realized we, we don't want to miss teaching through the really challenging Old Testament stories, because these are, some of the t these are some of the accounts, some of the stories that as Christian people, we can often feel the most intimidated about when people ask us questions about them. And so in some ways, it's lovely on a Sunday morning to, to stick to the, the sessions that are, that are easier and, uh, and less challenging. But we want to equip the church to be able to feel solid and strong and confident in the scriptures, in the Bible, in the Old Testament particularly, um, so that as people ask us questions about our faith, we are able to give an answer for the hope that we have. And so the story that we look at today is one where I must admit as a younger Christian, before I really came to understand this, this was a passage of scripture that I felt quite uncomfortable about, maybe even embarrassed about. I sort of wished it wasn't in there. Any of you felt like that? You look at, you know, you read a passage in the Old Testament and you, or, or in the New Testament and you think, gosh, I just wish that this particular passage wasn't there because it's really at a heart level difficult to get my heart, my head around. Maybe this is a, a, a story or a, 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 an, an account that for you has brought up feelings of even anger towards God. Why would God do this? Why would God work in this way? Or fear. Um, and so I think this is a passage of scripture that can if we don't understand it correctly, bring up feelings of being uncomfortable, afraid, angry, embarrassed. And as I was preparing and praying into this um, during the course of the week, on, on Monday last week, I was praying into this. And I, I sensed the Lord say that he wants to establish confidence in God through this time. Confidence in God's goodness, 
confidence in God's word, confidence in the Old Testament as the foundation of our faith. And so I'd love to pray for us this morning as we go into this story. It's the sacrifice of Isaac. This is the, and this is actually, funny enough, what uh, Ryan and I were invited to come and teach on in the high school <laughs> uh, down the road um, and, and had an amazing time as we did it and were able to share a perspective that I believe God would want us to have as we look at it afresh this morning. So you want to close your eyes or put your hand on your hearts or open your hands to the Lord as I pray for the Spirit of God to illuminate the Word of God for us, that we would see the glory of who God is, His power, His goodness, His truth, and be challenged as we're meant to be challenged to walk with the faith of Abraham afresh. And so, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the Spirit of God that has breathed the scriptures into being. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you have worked with your people over centuries to establish that you are the living God, the God who has made the heavens and the earth, the Alpha and the Omega, that you are true, that you are good, that you are faithful, that you are powerful, and that we can trust your promise, that you are the standard of what is right. And so, Lord, I pray, retool our hearts, reshape our minds, break off the lies of the enemy, that we might see you rightly as we come to you afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so just a reminder of this character, Abraham, this man who has such an important influence even on our lives today in our journey with God. So you may remember Abraham was 75 years old when he was given this promise. Abraham, you will be the father of a great nation that would bless the whole world. But we see it's only 25 years later that that son of promise is born to Sarah, his wife. And they have this boy, Isaac. And we pick up the story. Now, it says, and after that, <laughs> or a time after that, and we're not 100% sure how long after the birth of Isaac this takes place. If you, if you were to take your cue, perhaps from some of your children's Bible story books or picture books, it might look like Isaac is a very young child. That's actually quite unlikely. Probably he was at least an older teenager, maybe in his early 20s. According to Jewish rabbinic literature and teaching, he would have been in his mid to late 30s. And I'll explain why that is a little bit later. So, so he's Abraham's boy. How many of you have children who are grown up? Okay, but they are still your boy and they're still your girl, <laughs> even though they're older and they have their own children. Okay, so it, this is Abraham's boy. But I don't want you to think of this as a tiny little child. Okay, this, is, this is at least a teenager, probably someone in his early to mid-twenties. Okay, here's the story. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, we're going to look at that in a moment, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises... What were the promises? That through Isaac, 
he would be the father of a great nation, that all his descendants would come through Isaac. That's the promise. Okay? When God tested me, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. A couple of important things that I want to just explain for us before we dive into unpacking this and look at the narrative in Genesis as well. And that is, what is testing all about in the Bible? And what is sacrifice? These are, are concepts that are quite key for us to understand this passage. So first of all, what is the difference between testing and tempting? Because we know from passages like James chapter 1 that says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. In other words, no one can tempt God to do something evil, and God would never tempt anyone to do anything evil. So what is the difference between this testing that we see Abraham goes through and tempting? What is the difference between tempting and testing in the Bible? Well, the key difference is motivation. The key difference is motivation and purpose. The purpose of temptation, which we discover in the Bible, but right at the beginning, is the core work of the devil himself. The purpose of temptation is the hope that we can incite someone to fail, to fall, to sin. To bring someone into harm and damage and loss. To incite someone to do what is evil. But the purpose of testing in the Bible, as we see it, as God works with his people, is very different. It's to reveal people's hearts in the hope that people would be seen to be faithful to God. To show and display a person's trust and faith in God so that the glory of God might be made evident to those who are around. To reveal sinfulness so that there is the opportunity for repentance, so that people can come into restored relationship with God. And so God actually tests us for our good. And I explained this uh, as I was talking about this with, at the high school. We said, you know, if, if someone came into the operating theater and you were about to have an operation and, and they said, well, hi, my name is Dr. So-and-so and, and I'm going to be your surgeon today and we're going to be removing a few things from your body. I'd just like you to know that I did study uh, medicine, uh, but they were very kind to me and they didn't actually... Uh, asked me to do any examinations or tests. But I'd like to assure you that I'm pretty sure that I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and, um, and, and I think things are going to be okay. This is the first time that I'm doing this particular operation. <laughs> How many of you would be thinking, I would like out of here very fast? Now, just count down with me from 10, 10, 9, no, 8. <laughs> okay, so testing is a way of proving 
to those around and actually even to ourselves. Because if, until we're tested, we don't feel confident to do the things that we're being called to do. It actually helps us to ha have confidence in, in what we are now walking in. Testing reveals actually for the glory of God and for our own good that we are in a place of faith and that God is worthy of our faith and trust. So when it says in Hebrews and when it says in Genesis, and God tested we are all meant to know what is about to happen. And what is about to happen is this. God is about to reveal the faithfulness of Abraham and the trustworthiness of God. That's what this is for. And so God has created the scene. He's set something up. And yes, it is life or death. Although we know the angel is there to make sure that it all works out okay for, for Isaac in the end. Abraham doesn't know that, but God knows it. God has set something up to be able to reveal to community, to us, to God, and actually to Abraham himself. That he is a man of faith. That he trusts God and that God is trustworthy. The more intense the test the deeper that revelation can go and the higher our proclamation of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. When God's people live trusting in God, it reveals to the world that we believe he's trustworthy. When we don't live believing in God, it reveals to the world that we don't believe that he is trustworthy. This is what the test does. Okay, so this is testing. What about sacrifice? What is sacrifice about in the Bible? And we see that God's picture of sacrifice, the heartbeat of God's understanding of sacrifice is trust and devotion. And as you read throughout the whole of the Bible, you begin to discover that what God is looking for in sacrifice is a heart that is devoted to him and that is able to trust him. And so when we choose to offer things to God, to give things up for God, to give things away for God and because of God, to lose things that are valuable to us in honor and devotion of someone who is greater in value to us, it says something about who God is. When I'm prepared to part with something for God, it shows me and everyone around me and God and even into the spiritual realm that in my estimation, I am seeing God as greater than this thing than I've had to give up and give away and go without. So that by the time we get to the New Testament, where Jesus now comes and sacrifices himself on the cross, gives up even his own life. Why? To obey and trust and entrust himself to the will of the Father. What is he doing? He's saying, Father, I trust you and your will and your way and your goodness and your power. I trust you beyond the value even of my own life so that I offer it for you in obedience to what you've called me to do. I entrust myself to you.
And this becomes then the pattern for us in the scriptures of living a life of worship. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where it speaks about offer your lives as living sacrifices to God. This is your, this is your true act of worship. To live sacrificially is to live aware that nothing we have is of greater value than God himself, who is the giver of every perfect gift. Alan and I hadn't talked about which songs to, to share. That hymn is this concept that we sung earlier. When I look at everything that I have and every good thing that I have in my life and I compare it to the value of God, I recognize that everything is less and He is infinitely more. And so I can give everything to Him because I have Him who is of greatest value. And so sacrifice, whether it's small or whether it's massive, like it was for Jesus, like it was for Abraham, it's answering this question, who is most valuable to you? What is most valuable to you? And you see, the opposite of a life of worship is a life of idolatry. And idolatry is a big, intense word, (laughs) but it literally means this. It means when, if this is God, and this is stuff that he's given me, okay, worship is when God is more valuable than the stuff. Idolatry is when the stuff is more valuable than God. And that stuff can be any created thing. It can be your comfort, your lifestyle, your home, your family, your possessions, your time, your money, your career. And you can insert anything else that's important. Your golf clubs. (laughs) Okay. And so what is being tested here? What is being challenged here is what's in Abraham's heart? Is it a heart of devotion and trust and sacrifice and worship? Or is it a heart of idolatry where even the promise has now actually become greater in his heart than the giver of the promise? Where is his heart at? And obviously the question is, where is our heart at as we engage with this? So let's look at the story as we have it in in Genesis. Okay, if you want to follow along, um, this is in Genesis and I've not included the chapter 22. Thank you, my wife. Okay, Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, remember we're not sure how long yet, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son. You know when God calls out of us those things that are important, he understands, he knows how precious these things are to us. When he asks us to give them up, he doesn't just say, God, bring, bring your son. Bring your son, your only son. The son that has given you the identity that you carry as the father of a nation. The son of promise. The son you waited for for 25 years. Okay? Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there 
as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. I mean, that's got to be the hardest thing for anyone to hear from God. How do we get our hearts and heads around that? Early the next morning, doesn't delay, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, that's going to be significant later because they needed a lot of it. He set out from the place God had told him about, for the place God had told him about. On the third day, so this isn't just an instant reaction and it's done. He's got three days to be thinking about what he's doing. Such is the depth and gravity of this test that he's being put through. Okay, on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. Remember what it says in Hebrews. Abraham is thinking, I trust God. I trust the promise. God has a plan. If it means raising him from the dead, God is going to do it. We were as good as dead when we had this boy. There was no physical way we could have had this child. He is a miracle child. At the voice of God, we're coming back with him. Do, do you see that? That's, in, that's an important key there. Okay, it goes on. Verse 6, sorry, it's a bit small on the screen. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son. The donkey's been carrying it up to now. Okay, so this is not a little boy who's able to carry this load of wood for the, the sacrifice up the mountain where they're going. That's why we know he's, he's probably at least a, a strapping young teenager. Okay, and probably a lot stronger than Abraham, who was as good as dead when he was born as it says in, in Hebrews, okay? So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb. For the burnt offering, my son. I think that's a declaration of faith that Abraham is making there. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham! Abraham, here I am, he replied. I think he's thinking, oh Lord, I knew you were going to come through and it's taken right to the last minute and I was ready to do this, but thank you God that the, that the angel is now speaking. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Because, and this is one of the most important sentences in the Old Testament, because you have not withheld your son, your only son. This idea of withholding from God is so crucial through the whole Bible. It's what defines a worshiper from an idolater. Someone who trusts God from someone who doesn't. Someone who withholds 
is seeing what we have as more valuable than God. Someone that does not withhold is seen by God as a worshiper and a believer. Because you did not withhold, you, because you have not withheld your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not again, here's this word, withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, nations on earth will be blessed. All nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And so we see this incredible this incredible principle and reality, when we choose to not withhold from God, when we choose to obey God, even when it makes no sense to us, we trust in his promise, we trust in his goodness, we trust in his power, God is able to say, this is the kind of heart that I can bless. And my blessing will not just touch them, or their children, but it will touch their children's children and the generations to come. And not just them, but the nations will be blessed as one person walks in obedience to God and chooses not to withhold. Isn't it amazing? Imagine what begins to happen when a community says, God, we see how powerful you are. We trust you at your word. We see you as glorious. We are not withholding from you. We will walk in obedience to you. We will trust you. And God says, I can pour something out on that kind of heart that not only touches them and their families and their children and their church, but their community and their city and their nation and the world. Because now I know they trust me. And they see me for who I am. This imagery is very powerful. And actually, it becomes the imagery of salvation for us in Christ and what God has done for us. In this account, we see two things of the ministry of Jesus that's played out in his ultimate sacrifice for us. There is the obedience of Jesus that is seen in the obedience of Abraham, and there is the sacrificial lamb as atonement for sin that is seen in the ram, just as Jesus is seen on the cross. And so Jesus, as I said, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's facing the test. And he's praying and he says, God, if there is another way, may this cup be taken from me. I'm sure Abraham was praying that. God, if there's another way, can this be taken from me? But not my will, but your will be done. I trust you. And we see Abraham's faith is uh, magnified through the obedience and faith of Jesus as he trusts his father. We also see Christ in the ram. As God now provides the ram in the thicket and Isaac, the child of promise, 
does not need to die. And so Jesus dies for us so that you, the children of the promise, the children of Abraham by faith, would not need to die. That death can be defeated and escaped. So what do we learn from this? Powerful, challenging account. How do we handle our own faith tests as they come? Well, I think Abraham leans on two bedrock beliefs. And they are two bedrock beliefs that culture and society and the enemy is constantly seeking to erode in our hearts. And we need to be aware that this is a war and a battle and it's, an a, it's a war and a fight of faith. Do we believe who God says he is? Or do we believe who culture says he is? And who the enemy says he is. I think that Abraham believed this about God. That God is able. That he is powerful. He is wise and he is good. God is powerful. What does it say in Hebrews? He believed that God was able even to raise him from the dead. If that was required. Such is the faith in God's ability. He also believed that God was trustworthy. And what he promised, he could rely on. Because he'd learned that test already. God had said, you're going to be the father. And you're going to have a child. And you're going to have it with Sarah. And he laughs. <laughs> How? I'm as good as dead. And so is she. Is essentially what he says. And they'd seen the provision of God. He'd learned. Over 25 years, God is faithful. That's what brought him to being able to conquer this test. And so I want to encourage you, when you find yourself in a place where God is calling a lot out of you, there's the temptation to begin to think, is it really worth it? Is it really necessary? Does it really matter? Surely someone else could do that. Someone else is providing. You think like... the. I think like that <laughs> when God says that to me. Jason, maybe you could do this. Well, surely someone else is better positioned to do that than me. I'm sure Abraham was thinking, surely someone else is better positioned to have a child than I am. Those are the lies that come against us. God is not wise. God doesn't know what he's doing. This isn't a good plan. Surely there's a better plan. You know what, God? I could actually come up with a better plan. In fact, as a community here, we've got a lot of bright people in the room. We could really help you out. We have some good ideas that involve less struggle for us and sacrifice. And so if you could just bless our great plans that leave us in a much more comfortable place, I think we'd all be winning. And I think that's sometimes in our hearts, if we're honest. And God wants to say, will you trust me? Will you trust me that I, I am wise? I know the end from the beginning. I know you can't do it. That's the whole purpose. If you could do it, you'd have to rely on your own strength. How stressful would that be? Much better that you rely on my provision and my power and my wisdom and entrust your life to me. Live a life of not withholding from God, but with open hands 
because everything he has given is actually from him. And he's given to it to us because he trusts us with it. So when God calls time out of you or money out of you, that's one of our hardest ones, I think. Whether it's giving to the church, giving to someone, giving to a cause. You know, we normally feel the wrestle of that. Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know, God, if this is the best season or month <laughs> to call that out of us. <laughs> Maybe next month is a better month. And then I look at the story of Abraham the next morning. He's on the road with the donkey and his son and his servants. Energy, priorities, relationships. This perhaps is the, is the biggest. This is perhaps the biggest. Are we willing to risk relationships to live obediently for God? That's our hardest, I think. Am I willing to say what I believe God's called me to say, even if it means someone else might be offended. It might cost our relationship. Am I willing to lose a relationship for the sake of the kingdom because I know it's not godly and it's not the way it should be? That's tough. And yet I think when God calls these things out of us, what do we say? God is either here and our stuff is here or it's the other way around. This is what the test in us reveals. Now, who would like some prayer to be able to navigate that well? I know I need it, so I'm guessing you do too. And so I'd love to pray for you. And I want to pray for people who are here today and maybe in the midst of a test. And God is calling stuff out of you. And it feels like too much. I want to say, if it is God, and you need to do that work like we talked about the other week. Make sure you've done the work of confirming it's God that's speaking. Okay? And that doesn't mean taking six years to do that. Okay? That's called delay tactics. That's, that's what our kids do when we ask them to tidy the room. I, I, I just didn't know you meant put all the toys away. I thought you meant open the curtains. That's what I thought you meant. <laughs> uh, no, no, well, what we meant was when we said tidy the room, we meant tidy the room, okay? But do the work of confirming you've heard and it's God that's speaking. I think Abraham had learned God's voice by this stage, okay? Do that work. Um, we need to do that. But then when you do, establish in your heart God is trustworthy, God is good, God is wise, God cares for me, God loves me, and if he's walking me through challenge, it must be for either my good ultimately, or even a higher and greater purpose that he knows I can fulfill, and it's worth it. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online, wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.